Week seven of the Brotherly Sports Podcast presented by the Fans Place. I'm Sam Wexler alongside the brothers themselves, Rory Billing and Connor Billing. Guys, it's getting down to the wire. We've got some awesome races and we've got some predictions for the National League and American League yearly awards. And we've got some football talk and some American football talk. We've got a stacked show today. Should be a good night. It's a good time to do it as well because the Reds actually aren't playing tonight and both Connor and I have been glued to the television recently. So recording podcasts on Reds off days is always the way to go. Yeah, just like the ball players making use of the off day. <laughs> All right, let's get right into the nitty-gritty of it. Predictions for the Cy Young Award and MVP in the National League. I've got DeGrom. When I wrote this, it was before Trevor Bauer's start yesterday. So I'm going to have to change from DeGrom to Bauer for my National League Cy Young. You guys? I have, I think, Bauer wins it, especially if the Reds make the playoffs. I just, the way he's pitched and what he's been able to do, his numbers are better than DeGrom's, I think. Darvish is relatively close, but I think the only thing that could count against him is I think he only has five wins compared to Darvish, who has seven, and DeGrom's right around there, too. So the win total is a little bit low, but everything else, I think, points to Bauer. He's just been so dominant um, in that also. And you do have to consider the fact that he didn't get run support half those games that he pitched in. So didn't get run be... support and his home field is great American, which is a known trap for pitchers. And he still put up those numbers. Yeah. I believe Bowers ERA plus leads all of the majors that includes Shane Bieber, um, which I believe we all said was the lock for AL Cy Young. I don't think there's a whole bunch of debate on that one. Um, I have Bauer as well as of now. I just think when you, when you're in a post, uh, playoff race and you punctuate that with eight innings one run against a, not a great but a decent Brewers hitting club that's going to stand out in the minds of voters um, there's a chance he pitches Sunday on short rest if he throws uh, a gem in that game I don't think there's anybody who's beating him if the Reds slip out of the postseason then I think maybe that opens it up for potentially DeGrom potentially you Darvish since the Cubs are going to make the postseason I think voters um, you know, even though DeGrom's won the last couple of years, I do think when you, when you, when you lead your team to the postseason, it does give you just a slight boost um, when, when pitchers are all pretty similar, pretty similarly ranked there. So um, I think it's Bowers to lose right now, but I do think how the Reds play in these last few games will, will help determine that. But, you know, I'd like to hear from you guys, but I don't think any of us are, are um, betting against Shane Bieber for the AL Sion. Yeah, that's unanimous. Yeah, I mean, he's even got an outside shot at the AL MVP, I think. Um, he's probably going to do the best of any pitcher in, in, in quite a while here. Um, speaking of MVPs, I've got Jose Ramirez as my pick for the AL MVP. I think Connor's going to talk about him a little bit later. But, um, you know, when you look at wins above replacement, some other measures, he stacks up just as well, you know, right alongside anybody else in the AL. He doesn't stand out in any one statistical category a whole bunch, but um, – for a Cleveland team that really doesn't hit the ball all that much, he's really carried their offense for most of the year. I think he's gotten a good shot to win that. Yeah, he could be the first pitcher since Clayton Kershaw in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, right, to be the MVP? Yeah, I was looking at an old article. All right, American League MVP. Yeah, Bieber um, has uh, definitely an outside shot at MVP. I'd say LeMahieu or Abreu also put their name in the hat. I have a Abreu down for my AL MVP. I think that with the season he's put together to help anchor that, that White Sox line, that has a lot of really good bats in there, to be fair. It's not like Ramirez who's really carrying the Cleveland 
hitting right now, but Abreu, especially the couple of weeks tear he's been on here and there, um, almost winger like for the Reds, but probably even better. He's his stats this season are are pretty gnarly. And then I actually have bets for my NL MVP. I think he's been the best hitter on the Dodgers, surprisingly this year. Thinking my predictions, I had Bellinger as a as a repeat. I thought Betts would help Bellinger a lot, and it's looked like the projection of Bellinger has actually helped Betts a lot. So I think Betts might win that NL MVP over some of the other like Tatis Jr. that we've heard about. Um, I just think Betts stacks up a little bit better and means a little bit more to the Dodgers. Yeah, if yeah. I was betting, I might put my money on Betts, to be honest, but the player I think deserves it the most actually is Manny Machado slightly smaller market. So I'm not sure. And he's not, he's going to get it. He wasn't as splashy as an off season acquisition as bets. Betts has done more than enough to probably deserve the MVP as well. But I think, you know, Machado came over, played for San Diego last year. Didn't have quite the season they're expecting this year. He's been nothing short of spectacular. When you, when you add up his offensive and defensive contributions to that team, um, you know, I'm sure the way that he's, He's brought along a Fernando Tatis Jr., and I'm sure he's doing some mentoring for some of the younger players they have on that squad. I think he's probably one of the glue pieces um, over there at this point. You have the energy of Tatis. You've got some of the the wisdom of, of Machado, and um, I really think he's a major reason why that team is second in the, in the NL West and is going to nab that four seat in the NL. All right, standout hitter and pitcher. We'll just do standout player since we're getting down to the end of the season. Touch the handle. If it's hot, there could be a fire in the hallway. Ah, my hand, that's hot. This was hot too. What does warm mean? I've got Jose Abreu. In the last seven games, he's got a batting average of 462, and that's the best in all of the majors with guys for guys with over 25 plate appearances. He's mashing, and nobody's coming close. Yeah, I think – that's part of the reason why he's my pick for MVP. He's had three or four weeks like this where he's just torn the cover off the ball and helped carry the White Sox. I have Jose Ramirez. He hit a walk-off. He has almost just over a 500 on base percentage, six home runs, 16 RBIs. Um, he's, if not the main reason outside of Bieber, one of the main reasons the Indians are even in, in the playoffs. Without Ramirez, I don't think they're there. Um, Ramirez and Bieber or so. Just this week is a good culmination of what he's been able to do over the season. Yeah, Ramirez has definitely been mashing. I I put down Juan Soto just because of his season line. I don't want him to get lost in the shuffle, given that the Nationals aren't going to make the playoffs this year. But he's 21 years old. Slash line, he's hitting 359, 486 on base percentage, and a 1.19 OPS, which is just a ridiculous number. Um but the guy I really want to key in on, I feel like in this segment, I, I typically try to find guys that might be slightly less known, um, but are worth worth knowing about. Framber Valdez for the Astros in a season where they lost Verlander. Um, the McCullers has been in and out. They've had some issues there. Uh, Urquidy started the season on the DL. He's come through um, last 13 and two-thirds innings, 19 Ks, two wins. On the season, 357 ERA and 76 strikeouts and 70 innings. Um, he looks like a, a decent pitching find for the, for the Astros. So if you're listening and you play fantasy baseball, he's the guy to put on your list for next year. All right. What we liked and hated biggest plays of the week and mistakes. Music, sweet music. No mistakes this week for anybody on the list. Just positive stuff, huh? 
I think it was an overall a pretty good baseball week. Not a whole lot stuck out as being a mistake or something. I hate it. I just like the fact that there's a pretty serious NL playoff race since we're not really getting one on the AL side. Uh, it's fun that a bunch of these games matter and you, you care about which ones. And you have some teams they didn't expect to be in the midst of it are only a game or two behind. And the Marlins are dropping, so it's always good to see Rory's predictions start teetering on the edge. So yeah, I think I it's been fun to watch. I realize that my what's what I hated is definitely the fact that the Marlins have lost three in a row to the to the Braves and they're in danger of falling out of the playoffs for the first time in about two weeks. Um, and they finish up the season with the Yankees, so it certainly doesn't get easier. We'll see exactly how much effort the Yankees are putting into those last few games there. Um, they can't win the division, so I'm not sure what the difference really is between seeds at this point. If you're the four seed, you do get home field during the wild card. So we'll see how hard they play. Um, I'm still sticking with the Marlins to make the playoffs. My What I loved, I loved the Indians taking three games in a row from the White Sox. Um, I think they legitimized themselves as an actual contender in the postseason. We knew that rotation was going to be really good. Uh, two walk-offs in a row, which is pretty nuts. Um, two great ways to win ball games. I believe uh, they actually just came back. They were down 4-1 to the White Sox earlier tonight, and they actually just won 5-4. That just went final as we're recording this podcast. So that's a four-game sweep of the White Sox for the Indians, uh, which is pretty nuts. That's a, that's a pretty great series for, for Cleveland. I'm going to start keeping a counter of how many times you say nuts or mashing, and we'll give our, we'll give our followers and listeners $1 every time that word comes out. <laughs> Rory decided to not make it three for three on positive stuff on what we liked and hated. I'll give up positive. Albert Pujols passed Willie Mays in his number of career home runs, went from 660 to 661. Pujols, first ballot Hall of Famer. And it looks like he's pretty much at the end of the line. I think yeah. he's, I think I saw an image too. He's also the only player in history with 660 home runs and 660 doubles, which is pretty crazy. It's a pretty crazy stat line when you think about it. Uh, I could be making that up, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah, one of the best things about pools, too, is they're just, as far as I know, you've never really heard any whispers of any steroid or PED issues with his career. I mean, he, he's hit that many home runs, and he's clean. And I mean, it's, for all, he seemed, he appears to be clean. Um, it's easy to forget how good he was in the 2000s. I mean, he's sort of been playing out the last years of his career in L.A. and hasn't necessarily put up crazy stat lines. But, man, I, I mean – yeah, speaking of steroids, Albert Pujols, you can give him three more MVPs because he got be beat out in the MVP race several years in a row by Barry Bonds from 2000 to 2007. Right. Yeah, I think – I hope Pujols um, gets the credit that he's due. I just don't – he's not – he doesn't have nearly the fanfare of Derek Jeter when Derek Jeter retired a few years ago. I don't, I don't even see him having the same fanfare as a David Ortiz – and maybe it's because um, he's stuck out in L.A. and he hasn't hit, you know, played nearly as well as Ortiz did at the end of his career. And L.A. hasn't been good for a long time, which is kind of unfortunate. But he definitely deserves to be remembered as one of the greats. Yeah, the Angels have gone through three different name changes since they won a World <laughs> Series, it feels like. Yeah, and they don't seem to be getting any closer. Any closer to winning or any closer to changing their name again? <laughs> they might be closer. Probably, clo to probably closer to changing their name than winning. <laughs> Uh, at this rate on the baseball cards this year all the the teams it says like los angeles dodgers new york yankees cincinnati reds for the angels players it just says angels 
<laughs> There's no Los the entire, Angeles. They couldn't fit the entire name in there, probably. Well, they fit Dodgers. They fit Los Angeles yeah. Dodgers. I don't know if it's a indicative of a change to come or what, but who knows? Who knows? I, you know, they just need. They probably need a change in ownership structure. Is what they really need. Speaking of ownership, we'll throw in the what we liked and hated. Steve Cohen. It looks like that ownership change will go through, huh? Except uh, they finally, finally got the right package in front of him. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see how this goes for the Mets. Um, obviously, they have needed a pretty significant change in their ownership structure for quite a long time. I wonder, you know, if you watch the Clippers, you know, their trajectory as an organization under Donald Sterling, and then, you know, Steve Ballmer came in and, and really has kind of helped turn that organization around. Um, I'm not a Mets fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I hope this is sort of that same moment for that franchise. It's a franchise with a lot of history. It's a franchise with a lot of fans who constantly have to look at Yankees fans and, and be jealous. Um, I'm hopeful we get some, some meaningful subway series here in the future. And that, uh, this is sort of the moment where that heads in that direction. Yeah. The old Brooklyn Dodger fans have had more to cheer about after the team left the city than the Mets have had since they were founded. I mean, what it's three championships, to two since yeah. the Mets were founded. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy that the, the the people in that city who aren't Yankees fans deserve better. All right, let's move on to some soccer talk. English Premier League. Storylines through uh, two match days or one, depending on the sides. Gareth Bale headed back to Tottenham. Yeah, Bale um, obviously sort of gained prominence when he was at Tottenham for the first time, um, then headed over to Spain for a while and, and came back. Um, you'd think that would be a big boost to Spurs. They're one and one in their first two. Um, you know, another team with a lot of movement, Chelsea went on a spending spree over the summer, bringing in. Timo Werner, Kai Havertz. Uh, they actually just signed um, Edward Mendy to compete for first goalkeeper with Kepa, who's been absolutely horrendous. Um, they took Ben Chilwell from Leicester, although Leicester looks like that hasn't been a problem for them starting the, the, the year very strongly. Um, and then one other team I wanted to, to throw out there is one to watch this year. Crystal Palace uh, has won their first two matches. They beat United three to one and Wilfried Zaha has three out of their first four goals. He's a, a very, very talented striker. They finished 14th in the um, premiership last year. And I feel like every year there's one team that comes from around that range who makes some noise and sort of flirts with the idea of, of top four and then winds up in that five to 10 range might, might nab a UEFA spot. Um, I think Palace is, is going to be in the conversation this year for that spot right there with Wolves again, most likely, and, and maybe in Everton, but they're a team, they're, they're a fun team to watch. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do this year. Yeah, you mentioned Chelsea. You got to talk about Christian Pulisic as well. He's finally coming into his own, it seems like. And then another American kid was Weston McKinney, I think, that ended up on Cristiano Ronaldo's Instagram live story. <laughs> I didn't see that on McKinney and on Ronaldo's live story. I watched a lot of Pulisic last year. Um, and yeah, towards the end of the season, he, he really caught fire and was really probably the main reason why Chelsea even had the top four spot um, towards the end of last year. Unfortunately, he picked up an injury. Um, and hasn't played yet, but I, I believe he's, he's close to returning. Um, but, you know, if you're an American 
uh, football fan or soccer fan. Um, he's definitely the most watchable American superstar we've had probably since Landon Donovan. I'm still holding out for Freddie to do. I think he's going to make a comeback. <laughs> Who isn't? <laughs> I don't know. I just like the first week watching Liverpool Leeds in a, liver, in a Liverpool bar out in Denver and watching them all freak out when it looked like Leeds almost had a chance of beating them in that game. Yeah, I think the biggest storyline this year will be can anybody catch Liverpool? Obviously, they were dominant all of last year. They return pretty much the same squad. Um, you know, has Chelsea done enough to catch up? Uh, you know, can Man City um, do a little bit more than they did last year? They didn't make a lot of changes. Um, can Leicester have another miracle run um, similar to, uh, I think it was 2017 when they won. But um, Liverpool clearly are the, the team to beat until, until anyone says otherwise. Oh, one other thing I saw, it looks like there's not been a single draw so far on the entire table. There has not, which is, I don't know what the statistical chances of that are, but they have to be extremely, extremely low. Um, it's pretty crazy. You'd have to probably have to go back and try to try to look that up. But if you're an American sports fan, maybe this is the time to start watching the premiership if you really hate draws. So you might as well go check it out. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that's the equivalent in the NFL of having a tie or two ties in the same week right i would say more like two ties in the same week it probably is that rare all right let's move on to our saturday game picks oh pick me oh i know i know me me <sighs> okay fine i also uh, took the time to go back and listen to our episodes and charted how we were doing so i'm three and two on the season in my the fans play saturday game picks connor you're four and one and rory is two and four not quite the greatest season on record. Yeah, but I don't think that's sounds I don't about think that's, right. I don't think that's fair though, because I typically try to pick upsets every week to give people a reason to go against the grain, as opposed to picking favorites. And I think there might have been some favorites picks from the two of you over the first the first few weeks here. I think well, I guess that's it's just twenty twenty hindsight right there, because it's not called upset pick <laughs> of Saturday. It's called Saturday game pick. So you're just supposed to pick a game you think's gonna win. No one told you to pick upsets. I just – I'm winning, so I don't care. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, Connor, you uh, did end your undefeated season. You're on a one-week losing streak now. A lot of pressure to yeah, come it back. It, ha it happens to the best of us, but I'm picking in the Reds to, to beat the Twins this weekend. I think Castillo's on the mound. He's been on a tear, and that could be if they win tomorrow night. Winning on Saturday could go to a long way to locking up a postseason bid, so – I want that win for a multitude of reasons, but I think Castillo shuts down the Twins and the Reds win that one. Yeah, I'm going to stay in the NL Central. I'm going to take the Brewers over the Cardinals. Looks like Woodruff versus Wainwright. Um, Woodruff is, is very good. I think he'll shut the Cardinals down for most of the game. He has trouble sometimes finishing his outings, but if he can get through six strong, turn the ball over to Devin Williams and uh, Josh Hader in the bullpen. Should be game over for the Brewers. For me, I've got the Padres over San Francisco. The Padres know that they need to finish out the season strong to hold on to that four spot and make sure nothing crazy happens. They're going to be confident going into the postseason, and I don't think that San Francisco is really going to be able to compete with how strong the Padres have been. Yeah, as Reds fans, we certainly hope not. <laughs> Speaking of picks, are you guys picking – Bauer to start on Sunday if you're the Reds manager on short rest again 
that is so I that's tricky because the NL so the NL wild card starts on Wednesday, right? So you got three days off there. Um, you're looking at Mali Friday, Castillo Saturday. Sonny Gray could pitch on normal rest on Sunday, or you have Bauer on short rest. Gray looked great in his first outing back from the IL, but Bauer is obviously the guy that you want on the mound if you need a win. So I think if they need a win going into Sunday and it's not settled, I think Bauer pitches because he could still come back on normal rest on Friday of the NLDS and you'd still line up for that series, Castillo, Gray, Bauer, if you want. And if they, um, if they go into Sunday and they've already wrapped it up, I think you see either Sonny Gray so that he can get one more outing in before the postseason, or you see a Michael Lorenzen, and then you see Bauer pitch game one of the NLDS, Castillo to follow, and then Gray to finish. Um, so I think it depends on how they do Friday, Saturday. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> I don't think I need to add anything more to that. All right, well, Connor, you got nothing else to add. Let's move on to American football then. Let's go to the NFL. Are you ready, ready? We're ready. Are you ready for some football? What was the most exciting game you guys watched this weekend? I thought that the Atlanta loss to the Dallas Cowboys, 40-39, to was just ridiculous. It was a dumb loss. And I'm sure you guys saw the stat going around on the internet that it was the first loss in NFL history where the losing team had 39 points and zero turnovers. And that's going back to 1932 when they started tracking turnovers. So Atlanta, a historically, an historically bad loss, any way you put it. I think Atlanta's been cursed since they gave up the 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. They just, just, for whatever reason, can't seem to hold a lead. I don't know how an NFL team, when, when they're up by 15 with, what, under five minutes to go or four minutes to go, ended up losing that game. And there are just so many questions there. I think Dan Quinn's job is even more in question after that. It's an 0-2 start, and it's a bad 0-2 start with that loss. And he was on the hot seat more or less last year and somehow played his way out of mm-hmm. it. And I think you have to expect by the back half of the season, by week nine, he's either gone or he's solidified his spot by going 7-2. and two. And I think that's pretty much his only option. I would think so. I think he's – they. that's how he got his spot back at the end of last year because they finished the season on a five-game winning streak or something along those lines. So it'll be interesting to watch, that's for sure. All right, Connor, what was your exciting game? I For me, it was the Sunday night game. It was Patriots against the Seahawks. They always – I think the three times they've met in the regular season, plus twice in the playoffs, have always come down to the last possession or the last drive. Um, obviously, you don't have Wilson against Brady anymore, but Cam Newton certainly showed up for the Patriots, and but ended up getting stopped on the one-yard line on the last play that could have won it. Um, it's always fun to watch those two go head-to-head, I think. I also saw the stat Belichick, and where Russell Wilson's the only one to be 3-0 and against Belichick in regular season games. I, pr- I believe um, it's pronounced Mr. Unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Wilson seems to have Belichick's number um, during the regular season, at least. But that was a fun one to watch. Uh, I think the Seahawks are going to be very, very dangerous this year. And I think the fact that the Patriots gave them a run for their money, whilst probably still figuring out their different personnel, is a good sign for the Patriots for this season as well. Yeah, so the only game I actually watched the entire week 
Um, and then I caught a bunch of highlights was Cleveland, Cincinnati on Thursday night. Um, unfortunately I was out all day Sunday. Uh, and then truthfully just didn't have a whole bunch of interest in the saints <laughs> Raiders game on Monday night. Um, even though the Raiders surprised there, uh, the Cleveland Cincinnati game was really was probably a little bit closer than it, than it, than, or the score was a little bit closer than the game actually was. Cleveland was pretty well in control, but the only, um, the positive there for Bengals fans is Burrow looked good. And last year they would have lost that game about 42 to 14. So it feels like a moral victory maybe for as much as that matters. Yeah, and Trevor Bauer flexed the game. He wore those striped Bengals cleats. He did. It all ties but, back to Bauer. Yeah, and intra, you know, I saw I was reading an article the other day. You know, Bauer is obviously a free agent at the end of this year. And um, who knows where he's going to go. And there's been a lot of speculation whether he's going to sign a one-year deal or longer. But you know, people were in Cincinnati were pretty happy. You don't usually run out the uh, football team's colors if you're not intending to or not interested maybe in sticking around for a bit. So that was a, that was a positive indicator. All right, let's look at the storylines. The storyline I'm looking at is the fact that there were so many injuries in week two, ACL tears and pulled hamstrings left and right, not to mention the sticky field that I wrote about in the quick hits with Wex on the fansplace.com. The sticky field is a very contentious topic at the moment. It seems like everybody's got an opinion on it, especially the players who are getting hurt. Yeah, I think the lack of a true preseason will increase injury odds. So maybe field maintenance hasn't quite gotten there as well with the sticky fields. And I mean, personally for me, I had Barkley on my fantasy team. And we all know in fantasy football, if you lose one of your top four draft picks, the chances of you recovering is pretty tough. Um, so I saw that happen probably in the what it was the first quarter and I knew my week was over and then it would be tough to recover from a season of that. So I think, yeah, you hate to see players go down. Injuries are a part of football, but it seemed like week two just amassed a total that we haven't seen in a long time. And you wonder if part of it is just because everything's been a little bit different this year and in football it's so high octane, high speed, high contact. That might be one of the, the unfortunate side effects. At least it's not the paint from the opening game in Canton, Ohio from a couple of years ago where it was just concrete on the field. Yes, yes. That, at least it's not that as a plus. I think for me, though, I'm tracking these 0-2 teams and trying to see who's actually an 0-2 team and isn't going to be good this year, who's going to bounce out of it. I don't see the Eagles as really as an 0-2 team. Kind of surprising they started out that way. I see the Texans rebounding. They just had a brutal, brutal start to the season, and it doesn't get, it doesn't get any easier this week. Um, they've had, I think, they played the Ravens, the Chiefs, and, and then this week they're playing another big-name team, the Steelers. So three teams that are predicted to make the playoffs, if not win the AFC. Um, they have to play them in their first three weeks, so – after losing Hopkins and then getting that lineup, it's a little bit rough for them. Um, but that's kind of what I'm tracking is seeing who are who are the pretenders and the 0-2 and, and who are actually going to be bad like the Bengals. So if you had to choose between the Texans, uh, the Vikings, who are another 0-2 team that probably isn't that bad, and the Eagles for the best record at the end of the year, which team are you going with? I'm taking the Vikings. I'd probably – 
I'd yeah, I'd go Vikings as well. I think the Eagles, for whatever reason, always play down to their competition. They get hurt by injuries and they end up making the playoffs at nine and seven, whatever it is. And then, but I think the Vikings will bounce back pretty, pretty hardcore here, and the defense will get it together, and they'll end up ten and six or eleven and five, one of those. And Kirk Cousins will throw for three touchdowns and four hundred yards in a meaningless game <laughs> toward the end of the season. I actually think I'm going to take the Texans out of those three. I, I think the Texans are better than they've showed because of the, the, the toughness in their early season schedule. They might start two and five, but they might finish, you know, the season um, eight and one or something like that. Um, this week for me, a couple things I'm watching, a couple games specifically. I'm, I'm looking forward to our New England against uh, the Raiders. I wasn't that interested in Monday night. Raiders clearly show that they're better than I thought they were. Um, I don't think New England goes one and two. Um, I think Bill Belichick will confuse Derek Carr, but uh, that should be a, a good a good matchup. And then my dark horse MVP pick, Josh Allen, uh, is leading the Bills against the Los Angeles Rams. I'm a bit surprised the Rams are 0-2. I'm, or 2-0, sorry. I'm not surprised that Buffalo's 2-0. I think Buffalo is a very good team, but this is going to be their first really probably significant test. Miami got a little bit closer than – Maybe most people thought last week. So we'll see how Josh Allen does against uh, Aaron Donald and the, and the Rams. Yeah, Josh Allen and Buffalo looking really good. Are we thinking Buffalo has a shot at the Super Bowl? I personally do. I mean, if Josh Allen keeps playing at this level, um, he's got some weapons now. And the defense, the defense, you know, doesn't necessarily have – I guess they've got Tredavious White, but – it, it doesn't feel like they have the absolute studs that you see. Like they don't have an Aaron Donald, but they just play really well as a unit. Um, I think they're well coached. I think they've got a shot. The bills are now going to be Rory's Miami Marlins for the NFL season. We're going to hear about them every week. And Josh I, Allen. I don't, I'm low key. I think they're the mafia now. I think, <laughs> I think they're good. I don't think they're super bowl good. I don't see. I don't see them beating a Ravens or a Kansas City in the playoffs right now. I think they need another another couple years to really solidify themselves, and then I think they can get there. Yeah, just make sure Josh Allen doesn't fumble the ball before he gets to the end zone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably uh, probably be good. All right, one last thought for everybody. All right, you sad sacks. Last call. Rory, I see you've got a big – uh, bold one last thought why don't you let us know uh let us in on what's going on i actually over the course of this podcast i realized i have three last thoughts the first one is the one that i've been saying <laughs> all year i am going to continue backing the marlins despite their three losses in a row the braves i think they're going to sneak into the playoffs marlins so, man rory <laughs> the second uh is that connor and i are actually playing each other in fantasy football this week and connor very smartly told the world that he doesn't have saquon barkley so he's an excuse when he loses to me and has to be going to next week's podcast 0 and 3. So we'll let you all know how that goes. And then my third uh, and actual last thought um, is that uh, if, if you haven't seen it, Maya Gabira, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, um, a Brazilian woman uh, just set the record for largest wave ever surfed by a female at 73 feet, which is really only a couple feet behind the men's record. The video is unbelievable. She's pretty unbelievable. She actually four years ago um, took a really, really hard fall off a wave and spent a couple years even getting back to the point where she could surf again. 
popped right back in the ocean, um, caught a 73 foot wave. And it's one of the coolest things you'll, you'll see all week if you go check that out. So just search Maya Gabira, uh, record breaking wave. You'll find it everywhere. It's in, in Nazare off the coast of Portugal. It's pretty, pretty insane. Yeah. Talk about shredding gnar. That was a wild scene watching her coast on the edge of the wave. That was crazy. Just amazing. I think for me, mine's more on the, the college football season. I mean, Pac-12 just came out today saying they're going to have a seven-game season. Big Ten's having an eight-game season. So now all Power Five conferences are playing again, yet Notre Dame has to delay their game this week because they just had positive COVID tests. And So we'll see. I think it's going to be a lot harder for the NCAA to keep things flowing than it was is for the NFL and some of these major sports teams professional sports teams but I feel like we don't see a lot about college football because I think there's a hesitation on if it's actually really going to happen and if it's more of just a pipe dream we're going to play a few games and then it's going to get shut down again um so for me track just tracking the college football season and, and seeing what happens this week if we get more delays and how these conferences do yeah I was a big uh COVID conspiracy theorist when it comes to finishing the baseball season I did not think there wasn't even an outside chance of Major League Baseball finishing this season. And it looks like they're going to wrap it up just fine and head into the postseason. But for college football, you're going to be playing into the middle of December. It's going to be within a shouting distance of Christmas by the time the Big Ten wraps up their season on December, what is it, 18th, 19th? Yeah, I think that's going to be a challenge. And I also think that um, it's a lot of snow. Yeah, the sensitivity also around, you know, college-age students um, who are playing for free, you know, um, getting COVID versus professional athletes who kind of have more, maybe potentially even have more of a choice getting it. Um, I think if we see any issues there, we will get some shutdowns relatively quickly. So it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, and the Big Ten – they are going to end up weaseling their way into a ninth game because they have everybody matching up uh, East and West during championship week. So the top teams from the East and the West division will play at Lucas Oil, I assume. And then two, two V two, three V three down the line will play at home. And that'll be their ninth big 10 game of the season. This is just going to be one of those years. It, it's going to be the year. Yeah, the, the the playoff conversation will be fascinating when you have a nine and zero team in the Big Ten versus an eleven and one team at one of the other conferences, and then inevitably, I think you you might see an undefeated Group of Five team this year. Um, I, that, that debate on who, who Central Florida for national champs. Yeah, not over our Bearcats, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my last thought. We haven't talked enough about it. The Stanley Cup Finals. Tampa Bay, a big win. I think it was 5-1 last night. And they're up 2-1 to one in the series after three games. And that's being played in Edmonton, way up north. And the last time a Stanley Cup was played at a neutral site was in 1950. And it was uh, New York. Uh, it was because the circus made more money. And the circus was scheduled in March, just like the Stanley Cup. So the Garden, they said, you know what? you're going to have to go play somewhere else. Go play in Detroit or Toronto. We're not going to move the circus because that makes way more money than the hockey games. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's funny how much that changes now 
but that's actually that's a really funny fact. It's cool to know. All right. Anything, guys? That's it. All right. That was week seven of the Brotherly Sports Podcast presented by the Fans Place. That was a fun one. It was a jam-packed show, but I think we had a lot of fun on that, at least from uh, my point of view over here in the closet recording again. <laughs> you guys are on the comfy couch. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and check out thefansplace.com to read blogs by the whole crew and some other guys that are not on the podcast. Check that out for sure, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>